everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening. You can hear the excitement in the back of my voice. Uh, this is a special episode today. We're continuing our coverage of the Planet of the Apes movies, and today it's uh, uh, a very special it's beginning of our three-part series looking at the new reboot trilogy of uh, the Planet of the Apes films, and and I'm joined by my two exciting co-hosts, who I'll introduce right now. I'll start with Mr. Chris Chobin. Chris, how are you doing today? Excited to talk about the beginnings of ape CGI with you all. <laughs> the exciting advancements in ape technology that have occurred this century. Um, and my other co-host, Mr. Mike Levito. Mike, what are you up to today? Well, I, I'm taking this meeting from a boardroom that has a glass wall that backs directly to this lab <laughs> with live animals in it. So I think we'll be okay. Um, we should be fine. I, you know, like you know, nothing ever goes wrong with live animal testing, right? I think we're going to be fine. There's, there's going to be no crashing or, or police action or anything like that. I think we'll, we'll, we'll be all right. All right. Well, let's uh, <laughs> knock on wood there. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, like, like uh, I alluded to earlier, we're covering 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes today, um, a film which I would say has not really. Uh, aged a day since 2011 starring uh, James Franco and yeah th there's a lot to talk about I was kind of interested in um, uh, when I was thinking my icebreaker question for today I was thinking about um, sort of that this film came out in sort of the big era for remakes it was kind of like at mm -hmm. the tail end there and uh, my icebreaker question to you guys was like um, if you can remember if you had seen any like big remakes that were when you saw them in the theaters around this time between like 2000, 2011, 2012, do you guys, does any uh, spring to mind, Mike or Chris? I would oh, say, um, so the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I kind of vividly remember because I had, that was, I think probably the first movie where it was like, I was as familiar with the, uh, original as I was with the new one because I watched that movie, the, the original, the Gene Wilder one, a lot when I was a kid, and so you know I had a lot of preconceived notions about how the movie should be when I when I came into it, and I thought it was okay. Um, you know, definitely some interesting choices there. The other one um, was uh, Clash of the Titans, um, <laughs> one of uh, the worst movies I've seen in theaters. I would say not very good at all. Um, good enough it, to get a sequel, though. Yeah, good enough to get a sequel cover. <laughs> but it, but it was like a fun watch. It wasn't bad. Or like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm seeing through this. It was like my friend and I went and I had a great time watching this very bad movie. I believe that I believe that was a, a Sam Worthington, like his one of his sure. first post uh, giving a very Worthington performance. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess you point out that like that, that got a sequel. That truly was the era of like you could just put out shit and the even the sequel would make money sometimes. Like that I don't know, it was such an interesting era of film. But that um pre COVID. For me, yeah. I <laughs> There you go. Um I I was looking around, nothing sprang to mind, but I, I did some uh I to truly just Google remakes and then a year and you'll get a full list. I thought it was interesting. Um for 2012, the Red Dawn remake. Because mm -hmm. me and my brother absolutely loved the original. And so even though the trailer was kind of lukewarm, we were like, well, we got to go see it. And then it was just kind of pretty dud. Besides, um, Hemsworth um, was in it, right? Chris, Chris Hemsworth oh, and Josh Peck. 
Um, oh, it was Peck. No, I was I misremembered it as uh, the who's the guy from Superbad, the thick guy, Jonah Hill. Hill. Yeah, I thought it was Jonah Hill. Never mind. You, you got your heavy set child actors mixed up. Um, I notable thing about that I had never seen that, but I remember it coming out. The big controversy being that the you know obviously they weren't going to have the Soviets because it's after the mm-hmm. war, but they were, it w- it was going to be the Chinese. Mm-hmm. But then they, they pulled it at the it. last minute. Exactly, because they were like, "Hey, China has a box office too," so they changed it to the North Koreans instead. <laughs> Should have just made it Canada. Yeah, um, <laughs> they have a red flag. They pulled off. Um, the one that I thought of is a film. This, this is like the epitome of like. Um, there's like films that are good. There are films that are so bad they're good. This is like. Then there are like films that are like so mediocre. This to me, I think, is like the epitome of that. The um, mm-hmm. Poseidon Adventure remake, Poseidon mm. from 2006, oh. where I'm. It's to the point where it's like I can't even remember for certain if I actually saw it in theaters. Like I remember <laughs> so little about it, but I'm like I'm pretty I'm like 99% sure I saw it, but I like don't remember anything about it. Um, that to me, see, Penny, I'm pretty sure there was a TV movie version with Adam Baldwin at the same time that I think was much better, much more memorable. But um, that's the one I came up with on my list here. But um. I also I also looked up and came up with a list because um I don't know if you guys remember but between 2000 and 2012 they remade a lot a lot of movies so I I came up with a little list here and I just thought I'd read off about uh, 50 or 60 of these <laughs> <laughs> but um here here are some films that are remade I'll try to um, just read them off quickly hmm. um I'll just read them and you you guys can just listen to me read them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Total Recall, Fame, The Firm, The Fog, The Time Machine, Halloween, Friday the 13th, True Grit, Freaky Friday, Fright Night, The Thing, Funny Games, Get Carter, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Guess Who, The Goodbye Girl, Taking of Pelham, 123, Heartbreak Kid, Hills Have Eyes, Straw Dogs, House of Wax, Insomnia, The Departed Stepfather, The Italian Job, Lady Killers, Sisters, Karate Kid, King Kong, Last Holiday, Shaggy Dog, The Longest Yard, Rollerball, Manchurian Candidate, Mechanic... <sighs> I Am Legend, Prom Night, My Bloody Valentine 3D, Piranha 3D, The Omen, Ocean's Eleven, Nightmare on Elm Street, Yours, Mine, and Ours, Cheaper by the Dozen, Fun with Dick and Jane, Walking Tall, 13 Ghosts, Alfie, Amityville Horror, Around the World in 80 Days, Bad News Bears, The Crazies, Death Race, Death at a Funeral, and The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, I forgot about that. They, and they say Hollywood has no original ideas anymore. Um, did I think you left out uh, Footloose from that list? I forgot they remade that as well. I, I tried to just like cut it off at twenty twelve. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the lo- longest yard and uh, death race. I have like vivid memories of watching those movies. That uh, I I th- I'd still say they were like pretty good. Like I mean like for nineties sort of ac- or early two thousands action sort of cinema stuff. I don't know. I thought it was yeah. Not bad. I, uh, the, the, the big one you point out there that I had forgotten about, but I, I actually have very good memories of, is Taking a Film 1, 2, 3. Um, that uh, was, I don't know if that movie was rated R, but if it was, it was definitely one of the first R-rated movies I saw in theaters. And I uh, went with my dad, and uh, I remember really enjoying it, and also just getting like a very quick education in... Um, you know why gold is considered a stable security because that that, that's (laughs) john travolta's whole plot and my dad works in finance so he felt like he had to explain to me how that all works gotcha 
the one that stood out to me making that list was uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D, just because I can remember them trying to make like the monster in that movie like a big thing, but no one remembers that movie. Um, but no, the reason I brought up and read that huge list of movies just because to get a sense of the idea of um mm-hmm. 2011 rise of the planet of the apes is coming out and it's just like the tail end of like we've just been over overdone with like remakes of certain movies including planet of the apes which had come out in <laughs> 2001 so which leads me to saying it's like i think everyone was kind of burnt out on the idea of remakes and as a result i don't think a lot i think a lot of people like skipped this movie when it was originally released in the theaters i certainly didn't see it it's an original release did you guys see it i saw it at a drive-in theater in vineland new jersey so i did but like the sort of quality of the movie was not like at the forefront (laughs) of my mind because it was more the novelty of seeing it in a drive-in theater but yeah i i I do not think i think maybe i watched part of this on tv at one point but that i and i think i caught it like halfway through and that's uh, what's his face was just being so dead to the camera that I was like, I cannot continue watching this. <laughs> well, I think that's another thing with this movie is um, James Franco himself, because like I don't know if you guys remember, but like at this time, this was like peak saturation point for James Franco because mm-hmm. this was the same year he hosted the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. and also the same year he starred in the um, seminal film Your Highness. Uh, <laughs> with natalie portman and i think a lot of people were just like i'm done with this guy just like f him you know it's like you're just reboot making a cheap reboot of another property and it's like james franco it's like oh hollywood's out of ideas i I, so it's just leading me to be like i think expectations were not so high going into this movie which is uh you know uh but oddly enough you know it actually turned out to be a really good movie is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Like preamble. No, yeah, and I think it was definitely like a slow burn because I remember, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, but like there being a very serious push that Andy Circus, who does the mocap for Caesar and famously did the mocap for Gollum in Lord of the Rings, but there was a very serious movement to have him nominated for an Oscar for his work in this movie. And then I remember when the, the next two movies came out, those also, I think actually at that point, like the, you know, the pump had been primed and there was more critical acclaim for it. But yeah, I had to agree. It was definitely a slow burn, and then I think eventually people came around to it. Well, I think it was just if people actually saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And Uh I think, you know, the critical acclaim was good and the box office numbers were good. But yeah, so, um, yeah, I I had not, I did not see this when it was originally released, but now we've all seen it. Um, So we're here to discuss it. Um, Where should we start? I guess we should start with the cast probably, right? Um, Mike, uh, I'll start with you. I picked your name out of a hat with two names on it. Uh, what, what do you think about our, our lead human character, James Franco? Um, I think he's fine. I actually think James Franco is better when he um, has the opportunity to be maybe like a little smarmy or a little kind of like cocky and arrogant. Um, and or at least a little weird. Like he, he doesn't do that great as a straight man. Yeah, yeah, and he's just kind of supposed to be, like, a normal guy, as normal as someone who runs medical experiments on their father can be. But, um, <laughs> no. you know, he, he, he forced to play a little straight. Again, like, I, I don't, I think he's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've liked him better in other stuff, but I, I thought he was all right. Chris, any counter-opinion? I, I uh, like, he, 
when James Franco does not care, he does not act. Like the, uh, I, he, to be fair, I think I, I think he did better in this one than he has in some others. Like in uh, oh the remake of uh, Alice in Wonderland, where he just like does not give a shit. But like I I don't know that it's it's it, that last scene where it's like uh, oh Caesar home. And like I was just rewatching that little part right there, and the the look that James Franco gives is so strange. It's like he's like, oh, I gotcha. Like as if he's like getting a joke after a second or two. As like I I don't know I I I can't get behind it too much. Um, I'm going to defend James Franco. I think he's perfectly oh fine in the movie. <laughs> um, I think it certainly is helpful that it's like it's basically like. Uh, what you call it? It's he's basically not really the main character. It sort of starts on him, and then it kind of yeah. develops into to Caesar a bit, yeah, which helps. Yeah. But I think he's perfectly fine. I don't think he's. I never got the impression like he didn't care. He's definitely not like a Charlton Heston type, where it's like, wow, this guy is like so entertaining to watch on his own. But you know, I thought he was perfectly fine as like a scientist man, because I don't know if you guys know, but he's actually really smart in, uh, in real life. <laughs> So moving down the cast list, I just had the cast list up. Yep. All right. I'm sure we got you guys have all got a lot to say about this actress, uh, Frida Pinto, who plays uh, Caroline Aranha, the basically female lead. I'm sure. Let's keep it brief, guys. Your thoughts? <laughs> Completely forgot she existed until I watched this movie. Um, obviously famous for Slumdog Millionaire. Um, yeah. Again, like she, I, I think is you know less of like a full character in this movie than she is kind of a um someone who's there to give you the science of of apes and is there to just kind of react to what to what's happening until at the very end she does this kind of weird diversion to get uh james franco to talk to caesar again um which you, that's I, oh what sorry i just i mean to take you aside but that is the weird thing about franco is that he is just a scientist he's not an ape scientist which like i like and I guess I understand it because you are going for like Alzheimer's research so that he should not also be an ape scientist. Um, but it just does seem a bit odd, um, which I guess maybe he's a brain scientist and that's half of what you need to understand in order to understand Caesar. But like, I don't know. I, th I think she did a pretty solid job. No one at NASA was an ape scientist either. They <laughs> launched monkeys. In, in terms or, or a dog scientist. <laughs> It, in terms of setting up this film between a uh, and making the father figure of Caesar be a scientist to have it be not a an ape scientist someone that like knows and understands apes but just a random guy that is happenstantially handed a monkey because the ape guy doesn't want to murder any more monkeys like i kind of like it like because it's interesting because it means like it's just out of pure empathy that he's taking him on board um slash to save his dad and that like the love story is kind of happenstantial but it also does mean that he has to turn to someone else to be like what is going on with my son <laughs> like i don't know it's a little it's, it, yeah well thank you for giving your thoughts on frida pinto chris <laughs> um Moving on, we have John Lithgow, who plays Dr. Will Rodman's father, Charles. Uh, Mike, big thoughts on John Lithgow here? He's great. Love, love a Lithgow role. 
truly chewing the scenery in the best way possible. Like, when he has Alzheimer's, like, I don't know. Like, part of me says, like, oh, he's overacting. But the other part of me is like, oh, uh, like, I don't know. He's doing it well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he's good. Very, very funny. Um, and but you know, good heartfelt performance. You um, you you want to take care of him, right? Like you feel bad for him. You feel bad for James Franco. No, for, you know, um, he seems like a kind of like nice old man, um, and it'd be difficult watching his decline. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. It's definitely it's poignant. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, now we move on down to sort of the drag. Someone who. <laughs> Really has just completely fallen off since this movie. I, I have no idea anything about him. Uh, Brian Cox, <laughs> John Landon, Mike. Do you have any thoughts on Brian Cox? Uh, yeah, just like an absolute hack of an actor. No, um, <laughs> Brian Cox, obviously a great Shakespearean actor. Of course, probably most famous to people now as as Logan Roy from Succession. Um, it's just such a funny role for him to play in this because you know I think of Brian Cox, I think of someone being kind of like regal and imposing. Where series basically playing a zookeeper, and like I just I just don't really under like not not and he doesn't do like a bad job like he's fine he's fine he's kind of like a sleazy guy but just like um, just the casting director being like you know who I want to play this <laughs> this uh, this this morally compromised zookeeper is uh, is is Brian Cox but you know like also surprised to see him in this movie obviously knew he existed but um, yeah you know what can you say. Yeah, I, but th- that in a weird way that one of the things about Succession being he is playing a regal shithead, like that, like that he is kind of a, a scumbum, um, uh, and so I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's interesting to see just the scumbum side of it. Yeah, it is just a little. Um, it's just a little weird going back and watching this because it's like I completely forgot that Brian Cox is in this movie and it's like because of the Logan Roy of it all that like he's basically <laughs> like that's who he is now mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when I think of him and it's like even though he's in other things obviously because he's an actor but he's this is like uh, it, it's just funny to watch because it's just like oh they hired Logan Roy to play like a zookeeper and it's just funny watching it in that context because it's like in this movie he still has to deal with like his idiot kids right, in the yes, family sure. business <laughs> Yeah, g- give me the six, the HBO series about the uh, the ape sanctuary and 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 the uh, the the inner workings of that. Actually, that'd be great. Um, but he's always had that kind of interesting thing where he, obviously he's this Shakespearean guy. He has this acclaimed role in Succession, but he also like narrates McDonald's commercials. <laughs> like <laughs> he just kind of working he, actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hell yeah, he is. He is more in common with you and me than with uh, Rupert Murdoch. I think um, that's right. Hopefully that's right. Um, yeah. All right, moving on down. Someone who, you know, we all just adore. I'm sure we all still have our teen beats under our beds. Uh, Tom Felton, otherwise known as Draco Malfoy from the Harry Potter films, um, soon to be rebooted by Warner Brothers. Um, he's in this movie playing Dodge Landon, the son of Brian Cox's zookeeper character. Any any big thoughts, Mike, on your uh, cinematic doppelganger? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? He, he is blonde. Um, uh, um, I, I use less you hair. You just gel, need a though. Slytherin cloak. Yeah, then... I, I, according to the official Pottermore test, I am a Slytherin. So maybe, uh-huh. maybe, maybe I have more time falls than I think. What, what's, I mean, like. I remembered he was in this movie, and then I was thinking, how many other Tom Felton movies can I name? And I can name. Um, 
ten. Eight of those are Harry Potter movies. Yeah, exactly. um, one <laughs> of them pretty much just one movie. Yeah. One of them is this, and the other is Get Him to the Greek, in which he plays himself. Um, oh, right. <laughs> but I, I, I do love that, you know, it's like he... Because this would have been uh, right around when Harry Potter was ending. Yeah, it's the same year, I think, as Deadly yeah. Hallows Part 2. Um, but I like how casting directors were still just being like, you're going to be the shithead kid. Like, you're, you're going to be totally unlikable and evil. Typecast. Hey, um, but you, don't worry. This time, you'll be, you won't be a rich shithead kid. You'll be a, work, a, a semi-working-class like, shithead kid. Yeah. And you'll get to do an American accent. But yeah. and, I, I and, thought it was pretty good. That it's the... Uh, I feel like, despite being a pretty solid actor, that he kind of did that role so well that he got pigeonholed into a role that doesn't exist, which is Draco Malfoy. Like, I guess he could go around just being shitheads um, and, like, like rich... Uh, pretty boys like those rules don't exist as much as they used to i guess bullying is bad chris <laughs> but at yeah, least in like bullying. the 80s and 90s you would have like that like the the skiing like rich asshole that has to be put in his place and now they just don't have that anymore yeah i i don't i don't know i really don't have much further to add i'm surprised he's still acting i figured he would have stepped back after this but it seems like he's continued working maybe he just doesn't do big things just tries to stay close to home or something um Next up, we have someone who actually, I'm surprised, uh, I feel like I haven't heard much from him, because I remember it was a big deal at the time. He was in lots of stuff like this and other things. David Oyello, um, who plays the um, CEO, executive of um, the company, um, Stephen Jacobs. Any any thoughts on David Oyello, Mike? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I forgot he was in this movie, too, and when I saw this movie, I definitely did not know who he was. His big mm-hmm. breakout role, at least for me, was when he played Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, mm-hmm. um, which I think he's very good. And it feels like he's never really been able to kind of catch on, at least in the States, since. I think, was he in any of the Small Axe films? Or am I thinking of John Boyega? Um, I'm thinking of John Boyega. Um, yeah, John Boyega, I think. He's, yeah. Because he was in Small Axe. Yeah, yeah. But um, looking at his filmography, it's like, yeah, it's not like he was in the Cloverfield Paradox, which was the one everybody hated. Um <laughs> He's in a most violent year. I don't remember that at all. Like, I remember the movie. I don't remember him in it. Yeah, but that was still a while ago. <sighs> yeah. And then, like, most recently, like, he was in See How They Run, which was not a good movie. Um, so, yeah. It just kind of interesting how, like, he, he's really had kind of, like, a parabolic career, it feels like. Um, but I like him. I, I think he's good as, like, kind of a, a guy who's, like, not... A guy who clearly doesn't think he's evil, but someone who still wants to make as much money as possible. <laughs> I think he makes pretty cookie cutter, uh, rich profit motive businessman dialogue sing pretty well. Like, yeah, that he he makes you believe it, even though like if I think someone was just reading it on the page, like oh, like they didn't even do a second pass on this a little bit. Yeah, I mean he does he does a good job, um, but I think. I think you probably say this about all the characters, but they're kind of all the human characters kind of get overshadowed. Um, the second half of the movie and uh i don't know maybe instead of david oyello they could have gotten that guy that plays james franco's brother on the deuce to play the executive (laughs) that would have been interesting well i have some news for you lewis um (laughs) but um last lastly we have our big the big superstar breakout i don't know if you can say 
broke out from this because he was already in Lord of the Rings, like Mike said before. But Andy Serkis is in this movie. Um, we all know him as Claw from the Black Panther mm-hmm. films. Um, he, he's in uh, Andor, I think. Yeah. Right? Oh, Jesus. He's really good in Andor. Not, not, not that Andy, Andy Serkis is kind of ever bad. Like, I, like, in any acting role, it seems like they just threw him in a bucket of water and made him go insane. Like, that he's, he's always at a thousand percent, it seems like. Yeah, which is in diametric opposition to his directing career. Um, <laughs> where it's like, we all, we all love Mowgli, don't we, everybody? And, um, of course. Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Just a completely disappointing <laughs> experience. <laughs> Very bad movie. You, you, didn't like, you didn't like Venom 2? No, that was a terrible weekend where I saw <laughs> Halloween Kills. Uh-huh. And then um, I was like, oh, you know, I'll, Venom 2 will probably be a lot of fun. Woody Harrelson is mm-hmm. Carnage. It's got to be better than Halloween Kills. It was. <laughs> it was terrible. Wasted weekends. Maybe, I, movies. Like, I guess I don't remember a whole bunch of the movie, which does is a point against it, but that I at least remember it carrying over that weird, like, Venom is just a just like a guy that doesn't understand what he's doing. And, like, the, like uh that like he's just like this nerdy little alien uh i don't know i, I thought it's i guess it, maybe i just really like tom hardy i guess it's, it's the one where doesn't venom he either raps or he gives a speech at like a rave yeah um, oh. yeah okay but it was it was worse than halloween kills in my estimation at least halloween kills was like funny funny bad mm-hmm. venom yeah. too i was expecting to like be a lot more enjoyable i just found it really boring um yeah. <laughs> But we are not here today to denigrate Andy Serkis, but to praise him. <laughs> praise be unto him. Um, yeah, he plays the character Caesar in this new uh, reboot trilogy. And uh, yeah, he's really good. I was watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, it's, uh, you know, imagine all those great scenes where it's like Caesar and he's like four feet tall compared mm-hmm. to like everyone. And then you watch the behind-the-scenes and it's like Andy Serkis. Like there's a scene where... Um, James Franco and Frida Pinto are on the bed and, like, Caesar comes up and they're, like, playing with them. Now imagine that scene where Andy Serkis, like, a six-foot man, is, like, coming, ah! <laughs> He's, like, playing with you. And you have to pretend, like, it's, like, a young adult-sized chimpanzee. Now that's acting. <laughs> there, there was a film critic, Vince Mancini, who was like, you know, I'd really, I'd pay to see this movie, but without without the cgi on andy circus <laughs> like the andy entire circus. movie of andy circus with the ping pong balls on him you know <laughs> it is really probably funny. still be compelling yeah no no you can really you can see it on his face and it's really good um yeah andy circus is good i don't think any of us disagree with that right well, no, no. It's no, good. I I, I, th- I think the best thing you can say is that like you kind of forget that you're watching a human play in a via the magic of CGI, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's something that feels I think very organic about Caesar's movements and about the way he interacts with the other apes who are obviously also mocapped. Um, I it's it's yeah I think the the quality is in just kind of that. Um, you don't have to suspend that much disbelief because they, they do it all for you. Yeah. He um, he steals the show. The film really just becomes sort of about him as it goes on, as I was saying before. Um, do you guys have any big thoughts about the plot of this movie? Any um, things you want to note or discuss? Well, I... So, well, you can go on. 
Well, I was going to say, I think it's interesting that this movie basically started out as like kind of a, um, a thriller. Some guy wrote a thriller involving like the Alzheimer's disease and like apes. And then oh. I guess he could kind of sense the, the, was it the sea change in the air or something? And he's like, you know what? If I tweak this a little bit, I can just turn it into the Planet of the Apes script. <laughs> and so that's what happened. So that, I think, I think. That makes it make this movie make a thousand times more sense. Yeah, you think so? Did you not like uh, the Alzheimer angle that much? I th- it it just felt like not shoehorns too strong a word, but like it was just adjacent enough. And I guess this is this is where I really have the problem with what's his face. That like if if I could have understood that he cared, that like uh, like obviously he gives the serum to his dad, but like it's just I didn't believe that he wanted to do any of those things. So that if it came together that like oh, he gives the serum, and he loves this ape, and, like, he falls in love with this ape. Um, that, like, uh, I think it all would have worked better for me, but, like, without that connection, it just was, like, well, at least Andy Serkis is, like, really killing it as this ape. Yeah, I, um, what, what I couldn't help thinking of watching this is, because is, this only happened two years earlier, but it was the whole, like, Travis the Ape incident, um, mm. which was there was this ape, a chimpanzee named Travis who was like an animal actor and was kept as like a pet somewhere in Connecticut by this woman. And like something happened, um, something disturbed him. And basically he had like gotten overweight kind of as, as while he was domesticated. And he um, assaulted this woman and like, r- like literally like ripped her face off. And like yeah. you read about it and it's like, they say how like the police and like EMTs who like re- respond to the scene were like, literally having panic attacks like looking at what this ape had done to this woman and then he ended up getting shot um you know eventually apes do become apes like that they're not yeah these like cute little guys anymore and so that that kind of like loomed large for me just the idea of this of you know just like a something that's meant to be outside being inside and especially something as strong and powerful as a chimpanzee uh nope is that that is also a I'd say the most affecting parts of Nope, which was a movie I was kind of lukewarm on. Oh, with the monkey of, scenes? Yes, yeah. Literally kept me up at night after I saw that movie. Like, those scenes in particular. Because well, uh, they, they focus so much on the little kid. Yeah. Like, him just down there in terror, and you have to, like, see it out of the corner. Oof. And just the, the fact that you don't actually, like, see it, right? You know, there's, yeah. there's like, a, yeah. a Lovecraftian thing going on there. But yeah, that is interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that it, that it was kind of retrofitted into a Planet of the Apes movie. But I feel like in a lot of ways, that's kind of what you have to do to make to get a lot of money to make a movie. Now, obviously, there are non franchise or IP movies being made, but it really feels like if you want to make a movie about, like I think like Logan kind of stands out to me like that, where it's like they try to shoehorn in this weird kind of like agribusiness plot that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But no, I, I thought the plot was good. And, and, you know, having now watched all of the prior Planet of the Apes movies, I actually got a lot more out of it, right? Yeah. Because there's the elements like the no scene when Caesar says no. I was like, mm. this this is from the originals. I, I get that mm. now. Well, I was thinking it's like, I feel like it's more like it's an ideal way to write a script in sort of this IP franchise world where it's like you write a good script and then it's like, oh, with a few tweaks, you can make it a Planet of the Apes film. As opposed to just like, hey, you, write uh, a Planet of the Apes prequel reboot film, and then it's just garbage. Yeah. And, Whereas, and like, I, here you start with a good foundation. 
I agree, and I feel like it's something that happens less now. Because I feel like you could almost say the same thing about The Dark Knight. I don't know that Christian Bale was... Or not Christian Bale. Uh, Christopher Nolan was ever like, I'm going to write a movie about a terrorist, and then I'm going to turn it into The Dark Knight. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's like The Dark Knight. It's like it's, it's about more than just Batman and the Joker. Or there's people draw lots of allegories to the war on terror and things like that. But now it does feel like the IP has become kind of the point with a lot of these franchises. Mm-hmm. And I think that just kind of actually makes for like a less satisfying viewing experience in general. Yeah, I guess it's I, like... Um, I, I can understand where you're coming from, especially in this era where there's a lot of franchise movies that are like what you're sort of saying, just like, especially the new Ghostbusters, just be like, ah, remember this, remember this? Uh, I did remember like, it, by the way. <laughs> but like, it's, it's, I guess in my mind, the best franchise movies like i don't know get it some core point of the franchise or at least yes and what has already happened um but that use that as a pivot point that i guess i'm i'm too obsessed with andor and i know it's not exactly a sequel but like that to build to take the world that has been created by that and then run with it from there like I think that's sometimes where it could be the best of the best. So are you saying that your your opinion is that this film doesn't do that? I yeah, it's I I think the 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 zoo escape and the circus like all of that is very good, um, but it's sort of uh, sandwiched between this plot with the humans that I Andy Circus is so good that I under I he makes me care about their relationship but that I'm not getting enough from the human side to really like make this be a dynamic. And that at least, um, yeah, that, that's, I think, where I struggle a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of see what you mean in that it is... It, I mean, it almost kind of reminds me of a Godzilla movie in some sense where you could say that the human drama feels tacked on to the, you know, what, what you actually want to see. But, but I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I do think, you know, the idea of... It's an interesting kind of cycle of, you know, James Franco's motivation is to save his father right his mm-hmm. his um his his father who's declining and, and kind of withering before his eyes and it's implied was was this you know kind of you know impressive intellect beforehand and mm-hmm. in the process he also kind of like gives birth in a way in the sense that like you know he provides mm-hmm. the this ape with this excuse me human level intelligence Mm-hmm. And he goes from being kind of a son to be, to becoming this father, this unwitting mm-hmm. father, really, this kind of unexpected father of something yeah. that, that's not entirely human. And I, I think that's like an interesting kind of, um, if you think about it maybe a little too much, it's an, it is an interesting kind of just like circle of life narrative there. But I, I think it does maybe kind of get abandoned a little bit the more we focus on Caesar and it really, it becomes... I would say a little bit more of a thriller and kind of more about like, uh, you know, how Caesar views his place in the world, how he feels like a pet, doesn't want to feel like a pet. And then we get the, the fun thrill, thriller elements to it as well. When I watch this film, I, I definitely see what you mean in terms of like, what does this say about like the franchise? Like, what is it adding to the franchise? But I feel like it adds sort of like when I think of the line from Lawrence of Arabia, where it's like great things have small beginnings, where it's like this whole film mm-hmm. It's like on the surface, it's just about like the story with James Franco and then there's an ape and then the ape sort of leads a great escape out of a zoo and then mm. there's a whole kerfuffle on the bridge. And it's just, it's funny how like in the background, it's just like the end of the world, <laughs> like with this <laughs> disease that turns yeah, people dumb into the apes. Um, but um, 
I don't know. I think it it adds a whole level of like where is technology going? Like we can do like gene therapy and Alzheimer's, and then also like the. I think it's a much better example than the Tim Burton movie about the ethics of animal testing and um, stuff like that. I think that's much more the point of this movie. Whereas before, it the. I, I, <laughs> I feel no, like Tim Burton had sense. trouble getting that point across in the last movie. Well, and I think that that's a it's a perfect example of what you guys were talking about in terms of being like, well, I guess it's time to make another uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Tim Burton knows how to make movies. Let's hand it to him. And then Tim Burton goes, well, let me like make some pointy thing. Like, let me make like a and this was like you were sort of talking about. It wasn't even very Tim Burton e, but at least a little bit of like, oh, let me just like make the thing's a little more askew and topsy-turvy and then like just run with it we'll figure it out and then kind of nothing comes from it that like i would prefer this movie and i do prefer this movie to something like that that is like i guess we got to do another one of these franchise movies i guess the going back to the original series that the last movie in that set is so wild and so different um and and yet, I think I like it's one of the best because it is. Uh, it seems to be yes, ending the rest of the series in a, in, a, in a very good way that I that I like immensely. If that makes any sense. Wait, which movie? Which which movie were just talking about? Battle. The the, the final of the original yeah, series, yeah. which I guess my favorite being the third because it just goes so big uh, and like has that like incredible like set piece of them walking down the veranda and stuff. Um, but that's even the fifth one that like sure we take it into a totally different place a totally different idea but that it connects up with the movies not only in a tangential way but like in a narrative way i guess yeah well they very explicitly make all the connections in the fifth movie to tie everything together together um they do it well this one doesn't there are references to the original but it's you know it's starting its own like new series of um, films so, I don't know. I feel like this movie is kind of when it's and when you talk about like the whole trilogy, this one's kind of like underplayed in comparison to the next two. Obviously, that's because um, Matt Reeves sort of you know he directed the next two, so it kind of gets co-opted as the Matt Reeves trilogy, and then this one is kind of left all alone in the in the dust because um, <laughs> it had to do the hard work of getting everything set up. Um, well, that's fair. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a good little film. I, I mean, I appreciate, you know, it's sort of small scale in the same way that a lot of the original Apes movies were, like, kind of small scale. Because it's really just about, like, escaping from a zoo. And then there's, like, mm-hmm. a whole thing on the bridge. And it's not really, like, the stakes aren't really, like, the end of the world on the surface. But the, we know in a uh, oh dramatic, uh, irony sort of way that it is. Like, uh... And, th- and that's what I'm okay with. Like, th- they don't need to... You don't need to l- lean into the end of the world or the actual... The, the monks, the monkeys taking over the world and, like, winning. Because we know that happens. Like, you, you can lean on the franchise well enough that I, I really like the small-scale aspect of it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Andy Serkis in the zoo doing all that stuff, I think he's really good. And I think that even them being antagonists to him, I think, are really good. It's just that, like, beginning part of... like even, The thing that really stuck out to me... And it's stuck out by DB, but I think it's like a, a point. Is like they say that his dad was quoting Shakespeare, and then they cut to him. It's like, oh, what are you going to name him? And he says, I don't know. 
and then it just it hard cuts to uh, Caesar going away, and then there's like the narrative overlay of well, Caesar did X, so that oh, okay, so you just have to like sort of, and I'm I'm okay with piecing that together, which is like oh, he almost certainly named him Caesar because he was quoting Shakespeare, um, but that they don't say that or they don't give him the moment of doing anything with that, which like maybe you just couldn't find a good place to make that a thing, but that that would have been interesting. Like something along those lines, uh, some quote that he loved. Uh, he, um, yeah. he, I think when he picks up Caesar for the first time, John Lithgow's character, he does quote Julius Caesar. Oh, and he it does? Is a oh. line that's it. But, but, it, but it's, it's very subtle, so it is pretty hard. It is, yeah. Okay. I, I no, had the no, subtitles that's good on, then. I just so missed I that. It. It, is, it, is, it is kind of subtle. Yeah, I had the subtitles nice. on, so I caught it. But um, like even in the um, in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, when he picks the name Caesar, his name's already Caesar. So he just picks it out of the book hmm. that the governor has. So um, I mean, it would have been cool to have a scene where it somehow he picks his own name or something like that. But I uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of tricky. But um, here's an interesting question. So this film is uh, 12 years old now. Do you think this film would work if it came out today with, like, you know, the other films don't exist? Like, if it came out today in the current climate, how do you think it would fare? That's such an interesting question. I think it probably would have... So this made $481 million on a $93 million budget, which seems pretty good to me. Um, I do kind of wonder if it would be drowned out by just kind of, like, Marvel and DC smashing into each other. But I think that, and I, and I think there'd kind of like be, I, and like I know we kind of talked about how initially there was kind of maybe some skepticism, people didn't really see it. I think that that actually be like skepticism would be a little more intense. Um, at, to be honest with you, I actually think people would maybe come away a little disappointed because they would think that there just wasn't enough going on, which I think is a silly complaint. But like this movie is 105 minutes. I mean, your average superhero blockbuster now is like two and a half hours. Yeah. The running um, running time stood out to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I I think it would maybe be kind of like um, approached with like maybe some confusion, but I I would hope it it, it would do well. And it's funny too because I I think this also tries to. I feel like this was an era where it's like well, let's let's make these stories kind of like grounded, like the kind of like post Batman begins. Like, well, what if it was Batman but real? I feel like this is the, as close as you can come to, well, what if Planet of the Apes but real, right? Because yeah, they're not definitely. walking around with clothes on. They're in like a, cont- or like, it's like a near future kind of San Francisco, right? It doesn't really, it's not like yeah, a cyberpunk. Yeah, the apes don't really talk. Yeah. They use sign language. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know if that's what people are really looking for now, since I feel like we're in like a real period of kind of like maximalism and, and all that. But I don't know. I, I think it would probably get like a little drowned out. But Top Gun Maverick made a lot of money, so who knows? <laughs> I think the if you made it now and had this CGI, I think it would be behind the times. But that his acting is good enough that I think people would probably still be still move it forward. I don't think it would get the quite the acclaim it got, but it'd be like, oh, that's a solid blockbuster, that kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. Did any of you guys think about watching this in a post COVID nineteen? world the idea of like the pandemic sort of stuff at the end of that did that strike you as funny did you think about that or did you just go over your head um you have to remind me i don't remember the pandemic stuff at the end of this movie 
<laughs> well, you know, there's the whole thing with um, they develop like the 113 gas and it turns people dumb uh, and it's uh, like he gets the blood sprayed on him and the movie ends with like the neighbor, you know, the neighbor who's like a jerk to him. He turns right. out to be like, he gets infected and he turns out to be a pilot. Yes. This is like, it's like a, it's not even a post credit scene because it's like the movie ends for like 30 seconds and it cuts back to him getting on a plane and the credits show like mm-hmm. the plane going everywhere on the map mm-hmm. and getting infected. Did you did you stop? No, I, I I definitely right. turned this off before. Um, and it's funny because I remember I, I do remember seeing it in the theater though. Um, yeah, that'd probably be a little bit of a tough sell now. <laughs> um, that I, that in I only cut it. Oh, sorry. No, I, I only kind of remembered it because the next one in the series they start talking about it and you're like, wait, what happened? And then like, uh, I guess I'd never quite realized. I, I think maybe I. Oh, maybe I, having not seen this one, but having seen the next one in the series, I was like, "Wait, when did that happen?" Uh, I, I know I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting because, like, um, I kind of had the same thing where I, for, like, I could have turned the movie off, but I just didn't, so I didn't miss mm-hmm. that scene. Um, mm-hmm. It's like very weird where it's like, I guess attention spans are so short now, where it's like if nothing happens, like immediately it'll be like, "Oh, I'm just going to turn this off now," and then you'd <laughs> miss like Marvel. the actual ending of the movie. Gorbach showed up. Um, but yeah, the, the, this this neighbor who was like a, a kind of a jerk to James Franco, but kind of reasonably. Yeah, he, had, goes, he, he goes through. You have a human like, ape. Yeah. Who, who I, I believe watches my children on a daily basis. But then he gets infected with a horrible disease and ends up spreading it across the globe. Um, Bringing humanity to its knees so that uh, apes can land the killing blow. It's kind of interesting to think about how we have essentially lived through the doomsday scenario, <laughs> like this pandemic. Um, so it's like you just watch. It's like, oh, how quaint. Um, yep. Nope. Society's fine, I guess. In 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 a, in a ways, it just makes it, watching all these sci-fi movies um, kind of fun. Yeah, I guess I guess we can probably talk about COVID stuff more in the next one because I think that's probably it's definitely more at the forefront. But yeah. Um, where, how does this uh, how does this film rank in comparison? Uh, I guess two parts in how in comparison to the Tim Burton movie, and then how would you rank it in comparison to the original five movies? Well, I mean, it's definitely better than the Tim Burton movie. It, it doesn't yeah, take yeah. a whole a whole heck of a lot to be better. I I don't know if I well, I certainly would put it above the the original Charles Heston one, and I would probably put um, is Battle the fourth one mm-hmm. conquest um conquest yes i would probably put conquest ahead of that but like i would put it ahead of battle and escape and beneath probably like you so you're saying it's like an easy rewatch oh yeah i think absolutely yeah the i think if it was just the zoo stuff i maybe i just need to rewatch it again with, with like an understanding that you're i'm not gonna like franco um uh sorry sorry i'm putting beating that drum a little too much i i'd probably put it the original five i think it beats two which is the second one and the fourth one um yeah yeah i mean i think this film is definitely it's an easy rewatch i think it does like what if you're going to like reboot you know if a studio exec's like hey we we own this property let's reboot it Mm -hmm. let's do something new with it i think this film succeeds on that like i mean i kind of agree with you chris it's like the human cast is kind of you know underwhelming to a degree 
you know, I'm not saying James Franco is revelatory in this movie. I just think he's fine. And certainly, Frida Pinto is absolutely underserved in this movie. Like, it's almost on the same level as Nova in the original movie, where it's like, yeah, she Look, she says more, keep, but it's keeping like, that the same. Yeah, it's cut. It's like there's nothing there. If there was anything yeah. there, it was cut out of the movie. It's like <clears throat> James Franco. At, at and least she's romance. given some science dialogue, like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's smart. And, you know, she's um, Indian, so, you know, there's the whole diversity thing, so that's definitely a plus. But, you know, um, there's just, like, nothing there. I um, I couldn't make... What, is she, like, doing an accent in this movie, though? Like, is she... She has, like, an Indian accent, I believe. Because it, it, it sounded kind of Australian to me, but I may just not have a good ear for accents. She's from India. Well, yes, I know that. <laughs> so maybe, but, but for whatever reason, I, I got I got an Aussie vibe from her. But you know, who knows? We we like this movie. We give it a thumbs up, right? The Spielberg. I mean, sorry, not Spielberg. Siskel and Ebert. Thumbs up. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, I if, if if people haven't watched this before and just kind of flew under the radar at the time, I would definitely recommend that they seek it out. Especially now, I think uh, you know. I can go ahead and say, like, you know, the next two films are definitely, um, if this was good, the next two are, you know, better. So it's certainly no harm in giving this a watch before you watch. If you're interested in watching this trilogy, I would definitely, you know, this is an easy one to, to watch, you know, instead of just skipping and moving straight ahead to the next one. Which uh, we'll be covering next time when we do Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You know, which I, I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um... This is kind of what I've been looking forward to rewatching the next two um, as we get into this deep in the podcast series. So um, uh, let's look forward to that. Um, Mike, sometimes people, if they happen to, might feel like they want to send us an email and we want to let you know that's okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please uh, do so. If, if you have, if you think, if you have strong feelings about Frida Pinto or James Franco, uh, please email us at contact at the postwriter.com or on Twitter at the Post Rider, like a little at sign at the Post Rider, and uh, we'll uh, we'll reply. We are dying for for some feedback, for some reviews. Review us um, on Spotify, Google, wherever. I don't I don't read them all out anymore because you can just Google it and you'll find it. Um, <laughs> wherever podcasts are found, uh, review us, like us, five stars, and send us an email. Yeah, and check out all the articles on the postrider.com while you're at it. We have lots of stuff about politics and culture yes and that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah those two very narrow focuses yes that's true <laughs> but um yep that's it so uh from me um thanks everybody for listening and i hope you'll turn into our next episode um so take care everybody see you then bye Postwriter is primarily self-funded by its owners, and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects, and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content, 
pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to thepostwriter.com donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do.